Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. In addition to listening to this interview with director Matthew Gentile and about his film, American Murderer, which is available now in select theaters and available via streaming beginning on October 28th, I urge you to not only check out our episode, 154, on Jason Derrick Brown's case, but also to read Jamie Brown's book, Center of Attention, a true crime memoir, available on Amazon, for insight into the full story of Jason Derrick Brown. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Those who are listeners to our show have now heard our coverage of the Jason Derrick Brown case, which will be featured in the upcoming film entitled American Murderer, featuring esteemed actors like Tom Pelfrey, Ryan Phillippe, Jackie Weaver, and Adina Menzel. In today's episode, we have the privilege of speaking with the film's writer and director, Matthew Gentile. So welcome, Matthew. Allison and Maggie, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So before we jump into discussing the film itself, which was so good, we would love to hear more about what drew you into the industry in the first place. Was there a particular event, an aha moment or something when you recognized that filmmaking was for you? Yeah, you know, um, you know, I've wanted to be a filmmaker since I was, I think, 12 years old. Uh, well, actually, that's not true. Before I wanted to be a filmmaker, I wanted to be an FBI agent. And oh. that actually led to how I learned about the story. But more on that later. Um, <laughs> when I was uh, when I was 12 years old, my father showed me the movie Dog Day Afternoon with Al Pacino. Um, mm. And I was a little too young to see it, but it quickly became one of my favorite films mm. to the point where I said to my dad, yeah, I want movies like this now. What, do you, what else you got? And oh. he showed me, you know, The Godfather and Goodfellas and Pulp Fiction and, you know, movies that really kind of blew the box for me. Um, mm -hmm. Film noirs. So I always kind of found myself drawn towards films about antiheroes. I even think of Paul Newman and HUD and The Hustler. You know, I really loved movies like that that kind of explored a bit of the darker side or the grayer side of humanity. Mm. Um, so, you know, I was like every other, you know, 12-year-old who wanted to be a filmmaker. I made movies in class and whatnot. Um, but one big moment was my mother uh, when I was – I grew up in New York City, and they used to sell screenplays on street stands. Um, like little vendors mm. would, like, sell them printed out from, like, the internet. And you could just <laughs> go and buy a script for 10 bucks. Um, and so my mom saw me eyeing a copy of Dog Day Afternoon. So she bought me the screenplay. I brought it home. And uh, I read it, and it was the first time I ever read a screenplay and, and learned mm. what that was, that mm -hmm. you know, learned that words on a page could become images on a screen. And I just said, you know, like this guy, Frank Pearson, who wrote this screenplay, uh, and this guy, Sidney Lumet, who directed the movie, those are my heroes. I want to be them, you know? And so, nice. um, you know, I grew up, yeah, you know, in the city. I, I went to film school at the American Film Institute at AFI. I worked in the entertainment industry as a 
Yeah, I worked in the mailroom of a talent agency before I uh, then became an assistant in the talent department. I was there for about a year, and then I went to film school at AFI, made a lot of short films. Some of them, you know, did pretty – opened up a lot of doors for me, um, you know, mm-hmm. and I was you know, trying to figure out, though, what my first feature as a writer and director was. I ultimately settled on the story of American Murderer um, when it really came back into my life in a way I didn't expect completely grabbed me um just the story of jason Derek brown when i realized he was missing after all these years um and <laughs> right. that became you know my for the what you know the impetus to make my first feature film um and it took a long time to get american murder made but it was a long but very rewarding journey and i'm just glad mm-hmm. we got to make it with this incredible cast and um, oh. you know at the time that we did also in the height of the pandemic so right it's a special journey that i can talk at length about right i feel like your life needs to be a movie I, I, I want to see the movie about the little boy who reads the screenplay. Oh, I don't know. Right, right. I promise. Who goes on to direct these sound. great films? Oh, thank so, you. in wow. terms in terms of being a director, I guess what is the most important quality of a film director? And are there any directors who you think of as role models? Ooh, good question. Um, I don't know that I'm qualified to answer it, but I, <laughs> you know, I, I well, yes, I have a lot of role models. Um, certainly, you know, I think, you know, film is kind of a life, meaning that it really is. It's all consuming, and mm-hmm. not in that you know, it's you know, there's a lot of jobs that are way more higher stakes and more important. Like I'd argue that being a nurse or a teacher is way more important than being a film. Why, thank you. Um, but <laughs> I, I do feel that way. But you know, because you know, look, when I get I do tell people I get to I get to dream I get to play for a living you know right um I t- but I take it extremely seriously and mm-hmm. most of the filmmakers I've known especially the good ones take it very seriously this is you know you're always studying you're always trying to get better you're trying to be an observer of the human condition as best as you can uh, depending on what kind of movies you want to make but the kinds of films I want to make you know you want to be you want to be able to observe human behavior and really look at it mm-hmm. up close in a nuanced way because mm-hmm. look when you get to make a movie you get uh, you're asking to talk to thousands and thousands or millions, if you're lucky, of people in a dark room or on right. their televisions. You know, you get right. to communicate. Like, I know by making American Murder, I get to show anyone, who, you know, on your podcast listening who decides to click it or come see it in the theater, you know, uh, we're getting to talk to you, you know, and we're going to have a mm-hmm. conversation. And that's pretty powerful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that for me, what I've learned is that I think having – a lot of balances you know because when you're directing on set you're a leader you know and you do have to you know like they compare it to a general you have to get the <laughs> get the crew right. to you know get the movie yeah. you know brought in and bring it in on time and all of that but you know tell the story and tell the story in the right way so there's so much one as a director has to learn and you know on the last day of filming i uh we wrapped and we actually shot the last scene the last shot of the film last which is pretty rare it doesn't always happen wow um you know and tom comes up to me and he goes how you feeling buddy (laughs) (laughs) and i was in such a euphoric rise because you know we'd finished it oh yeah believe it that we finished shooting and i looked at him and i said buddy uh you know i'm this is my first movie i'm I have so much to learn. I have so much to gain. Um, you know, I've got to build muscle, but oh my God, I think we put a real person on the screen and I think you're amazing. And then I went to wow. my hotel room and I fell asleep on the floor. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was just, uh, it, it was, you're constantly learning and pushing yourself to, to do better, to be better, to right. learn from mistakes and, and all of that. And, you know, it's, it's a constantly changing process. I mean, being a director is interesting because you really, you find yourself in a position where you have to balance a lot of different energies that come at mm-hmm. you on set. You know, there's actors who have their own energy. There's there's producers, there's crew, there's, you know, background, like all these different things going on. And you're really like, it's like you're running in front of a locomotive train. Um, so, you know, so it is like teaching to... in a classroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, you sound like you're yeah. a teacher. You're hurting right. cattle. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've taught a couple, I've guest lectured a couple times. I gotta say, I'm a terrible teacher, but <laughs> I, um, I, and after doing that, I really, my respect for teachers. Went <laughs> but um, no, yeah, absolutely. It is, it is like a classroom, right? It's that, mm-hmm. you know, because when you're mm-hmm. in a classroom, you have that adrenaline, right? Right. And um, shooting, there's definitely an adrenaline rush. Um, editing is where you really get to shape the film mm-hmm. um, and really kind of sculpt 
because um, you know shooting they compare it to there's one of great analogies that shooting is like grocery shopping <laughs> editing is like actually cooking um, oh, and I don't know, that's they're, right. they're both yeah. kind of like it, but like, you know, it's like, yeah, I gotta get this. I gotta get the basil. I gotta get, you know, and then you get to the kitchen. And like, okay. What do we got? <laughs> what do we make? No, I love that um, analogy. That's do we need to run back out. So yeah. yeah, you know, I love editing, um, a lot. Um, but yeah, no, I have so many role models. I mean, you know, one of my of course classics is Francis Ford Coppola, um, who I had the pleasure of meeting at the world. Oh, nice. Um, we, we showed the film in Italy at Termina and uh, the film festival there and he was there with the godfather 50th anniversary by complete coincidence so it was just a wow. stroke of luck yeah, um lucky. so yeah you know uh, scorsese spielberg of course mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know de palma brian de palma um, I, I, i'm a big old movie person too i live on tcm yes criterion <laughs> so you know i love film noir film noir really inspired this movie a lot um you know, and there were a lot of noirish films that really honestly proved to me that a film like this could exist. Because, you know, movies mm-hmm. like American Murderer and movies about characters like Jason Derrick Brown don't necessarily get made a lot, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. they're they're, t- they're not the easiest sell. Um, you know, right. he's a complex guy. Um, so, you know, I think for me, yeah, film noir and, and movies that really aren't afraid to show, you know, the dark side of humanity. Um, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what is in Jason Derrick Brown. And mm-hmm. you had to, I think, I mean, I obviously I know absolutely nothing about directing a movie, but I would think you almost made it a little bit more hard on yourself because where this is a true story, you not only had to worry about, you know, telling the story, but you also had to worry about these actually are real people. Are you portraying right. these people right? You know, it's not a fictional character that you made up. And I think that's Correct. just incredible that you were able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I call the brand, um, as I've been talking about, I call it true crime fiction, meaning that it is a true crime. There are a lot of true things in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did a lot of research. Um, you know, I read everything I could get my hands on. I interviewed some people on my own. I won't say who because I don't want to out them. But I did mm-hmm. do interviews where I got to, you know, talk to people who knew some of the characters that were portrayed. Um, you know, but I ultimately decided to, you know, in my research, you know, one decision, a key decision I had to make that was a little tough was not talking to the family because mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that my take on Jason wasn't filtered. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to be as okay. you know, open as possible to, to portray him in this way. And, you know, I ultimately, that was also specifically challenging because this is a story about family at the core. You know, mm-hmm. on the surface, American Murder is a cat and mouse thriller. You've got your chase. You know, you've got Tom Pelfrey squaring off against Ryan Phillippe, right? You know, you've got, mm-hmm. you know, the manhunter and the and the outlaw, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you know, it's a movie to me about family and yep, right. family relationships and siblings and love and all of that. And that's what it's, you know, that's the Trojan horse is the crime thriller. But yeah, you know, so it's ultimately about that and um, examining that. And so, yeah, you know, choosing to do it. Tr- it's funny because my next film is a true story. Um you know, the one I'm planning to do after is also, so true crime is my genre for now of choice. Ooh. Well, we um, love that. So yeah, yeah. We're here no, for that coming. I'll, talk, I'll talk about all my movies on this podcast if you want. <laughs> um, okay. So oh, yeah. since, since you are Brooklyn native, correct? That's right. So what drew you to this story? What was it that just pulled you in? So when I was uh, 14 years old, I, used to go on the FBI's top 10 most wanted fugitives. Oh, okay. Because you wanted to be um, the FBI agent. Exactly. I wanted to be that before I was a filmmaker. And I was pretty, you know, when you look at the FBI top 10 list in that era of the 2000s, the early aughts and the, then the mid, <laughs> you know, like the 2009 or 2020, you know, you had a lot of menacing faces on the, mm-hmm. you still do, right? You had Osama bin Laden, Whitey Bulger, all of whom, most of whom were eventually captured. Um, you know, I saw Jason Derrick Brown's face there, not on the top 10 in 2004. He actually joined the top 10 list in 2007, but he was a fugitive starting in 2004 when I was around 14 years old. And I remembered his face stood out to me. He was a surfer dude with spiky blonde hair, blue, mm-hmm. blue eyes, looked like Spicoli from Fast Times at Richmond High. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, he just, he didn't fit the profile. Something about this right. seemed off. 
So cut to 12, 13 years later, I've graduated film school at AFI. I'm trying to figure out what my first feature is. I'm having this existential question of, do I try to write my own movie? Do I try to direct something that someone offered me, which I was fortunate to have a couple, but you know, I was kind of in this in-between moment. I was trying to figure out what that movie was and I'm sitting on my couch and I'm drawing storyboards for a dentistry commercial that I was filming at the time. And I'm drawing out the shots. And as I draw out storyboards for my shoots, I always have something on the background, whether it's a true crime documentary or, mm-hmm. you know, something else, Shark Tank or whatever. And so as I'm drawing, all of a sudden, I look up at the TV and Jason Derek Brown's face flashed across the screen. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I turned the volume up because I just remember it all of a sudden came running back. I was like, who is that? I was like, oh, that's the guy. And I turned the volume up and I started watching the, you know, because Jason's story, you have to remember, was, it has been covered extensively. There's so much right. out there about right. it. So I started watching this documentary and this documentary was interesting because it interviewed a lot of people who knew him. And it also interviewed the FBI agent who hunted him. So I started to listen Mm -hmm. and I was immediately struck by here was a crime that was interesting, you know, an armed robbery, right? A murder, a a fugitive, all the stuff that I would definitely go to a movie theater for. Mm -hmm. Um, But what really kind of kept pinging me about the story was not just Jason Derrick Brown, this charismatic con man, but this person who meant so many things to so many different people yes who was loved by a lot of people mm-hmm. someone who was popular someone who is exciting someone who is romantic someone who is dangerous <laughs> someone who is scary someone who is sociopathic so you know narcissistic so you had all of these things that just really excited me and i just thought to myself you know i was like i've seen a movie where this guy is like the villain but i've never seen a movie where this kind of guy is the star yeah you know, this mm-hmm. is the guy you're forced mm-hmm. to be with and I would pay, you know, 18 bucks. I think it's what ticket costs in LA now. 18 bucks to go see this on opening night. I would. Right. And, you know, my I have a great screenwriting mentor named Billy Ray who says, if you don't wake up thinking about your project, you probably shouldn't be writing it. And I always mm. thought that was a great quote. So mm-hmm. for me, you know, and I am someone who writes first thing in the morning. So for me, I woke up every morning thinking right. about this movie. I said, okay. So once it got its claws in me, um, you know, then I started researching it and that became a deep, deep dive web. And that led to me, you know, deciding this was going to be my first feature. So that was going to be my question. How long did it take you to research and write your script? (laughs) Baggy too long. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have a very slow process. Um, you know, I'm trying to get faster now because that's what they want you to be in Hollywood, but uh, I'm slow. I um, I first had the idea back in 2018, I want to say, mm-hmm. um, okay. to do it. And, you know, I think I wrote the first drafts of it. Keep in mind, you know, I was writing a lot of stuff. I was also working as a script reader. That was my way of paying my bills. Um, you know, and I wrote the script, you know, what they call on spec, which means I just did it on my own time, on my own time, you know, just, just writing when I could. And, uh, you know, in 2018, late 2018, I started to get interested in it. I did a proof of concept short, um, which had a very talented actor named Jonathan Groff in it, um, playing the role of Jason there. And uh, he was loosely attached. But then the script got picked up by two companies, uh, Traveling Picture Show and GG Films, uh, Gia Walsh, Kevin Madison, Chris Buffell. They came together. Um, these three producers converged upon me kind of at the same time. And they optioned the screenplay for me. And we developed it for about a year um, before we really went out to go cast it. Um, and in that time, Jonathan had to leave and go. It just was booking up too many things. But, um, you know, we went out to cast the movie finally in March of 2020 when the world was shutting down. Yeah. So, you know, this was a long journey because like already by the time we got to shooting the film, I believe I'd been working on the project for about two and a half, three years. Um, wow. so it took a long time and then editing was really, you know, the only thing fast about American murderers making was the shoot. The shoot was really quick. Uh, and then the editing would took a while and you know, post generally does, um, post-production generally does, but it was, you know, it was a slow cook, um, you know, for sure. Um, I think door to door, it was like four, four and a half years, but 
you know, um, it was definitely worth it because I think, you know, all of the false starts that led up to this movie happening, you know, there was a lot of time for the first two years. I think my, like my family, whenever I went home, be like, when's your movie getting made? You know, when's it going to happen? <laughs> and I was like, uh, stop asking me. Um, but, you know, it's been really worth it because all that time allowed this idea and the screenplay to really develop so that by the time we got to go, we were really ready. Um, you know, and we were, you know, we were lucky because we shot, you know, we shot the film November and December of 2020. So right in the thick of the pandemic mm-hmm. um, when things were, re- you know, we were filming in Utah too. And like, in November in Utah, I was like, Utah was in the news every day in a really bad way. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and my, I only told three people, my brother and my parents, and they were like, are you okay? <laughs> you know, are you all right? And I was like, I'm fine. But, you know, when we were shooting, it was like any day we could get shut down. You know, because, mm-hmm. you know, we was pre-vaccines, you know, it, it was just a crazy time. So, yeah, you know, it was a, uh, it was quite a journey and I can talk about any part of it you want me to, but yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a roller coaster for sure, but a good roller coaster. Well, the, the film was so good. So it definitely shows that you, oh, thank you took the time. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Well, so I guess Here's a question. You kind of alluded to it earlier. Since this movie is based on a true story, I know you said you didn't want to necessarily talk to too many people because you didn't want it to influence um, your choices artistically that you made in the film. But are there guidelines or special care that you feel like you need to follow as a writer or a director in terms of being accurate? Like, I've always wondered that when I watch a film that says based on a true story, right. is there some kind of like unspoken guide that says, okay, at least, you know, 75% yeah, of I the details like need like to be creative actually... nonfiction, you know, like most of it is, I mean, I have no idea, but I, that's what I think of. We could compare it to literature. Like it's yeah. nonfiction, but we have a creative side to it no it's a great it's a totally valid question because it's it's been a question with movies that are based on true stories since the beginning of them Mm -hmm. you know like i remember a film that i love the hurricane with denzel washington you know it's Mm. one of the best performances of all time that movie got ripped to shreds because then it got a lot of controversy at the time that kind of overshadowed the movie's merits because of how much stuff it made up but the reality is you know accuracy was not something I was necessarily pursuing um, because, you know, for me, you know, now I think if you're making a documentary, although documentaries are very complex too, because documentaries have a whole mm-hmm. system in place of like, what can they say? What can't they say? You know, so many documentaries have gotten mm-hmm. in trouble for mm-hmm. the same things that fiction filmmakers get or narrative filmmakers get in trouble for. So it's a complex issue. Um, you know, I think, look, for me, you know, my intent for making this movie was to, you know, one, tell a compelling story about a dark soul to show Mm -hmm. him to an audience as who I believe in my interpretation is who he was. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That was my intention was to really show Jason Derrick Ruffer who I, after everything I heard and learned, listened, and then imagined, (laughs) believe him to be. Right. You know, and I am sure there are some things that are Based on what I've read and known about him, I think there are some things that are accurate, <laughs> but that's all stuff I've been told. You know, in a way, the character I am most like in this film is Ryan's character, because I learned about Jason through interviews, photographs, videos, mm-hmm. things he left behind. So I know what Jason wears because there's a thousand pictures of him in green striped button downs, right? Mm-hmm. I know what Jason you know, did right. because, like, you know, I, I had some interviews with people who vaguely knew him. And even those I took with a grain of salt because who knows how truthful they're being. And that's part of, you know, the dramatic effect of a film. You know, we constructed it as a nonlinear narrative where you're learning about Jason Derrick Brown from so many different points of view. You're seeing mm-hmm. them through the And right. that's part of what the movie's about also is how this – testimony is unreliable to a certain degree everyone's got an unreliable narrator in the film from mm-hmm. the sisters that. Mm-hmm. so when you make a narrative film and it's not a documentary i do think there are different rules that apply because real life often does not play out like a, a, a film narrative you know it's mm-hmm. very rare that you find a story that does and so there is a good amount of inventing required on a dramatist standpoint you know um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite movies of the 2010s was The Social Network, by those masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I am sure there are things in that, like Mark Zuckerberg apparently said, well, no, I've been the same girlfriend the whole time. I never had, you know, that breakup, right? Or, you know, yeah, I, I wear these flip flops, right, those right. flip flops. 
And, you know, and look, I mean, if someone made a movie about my life, which uh, you guys said they might one day, I probably will be pissed off at some <laughs> things in the movie. I'll be like, oh, that, you know, or whatever. My posture's not that bad. But, you know, I think that that's something that happens. Um, you know, and I think, look, I cared more about being, and I hope this doesn't sound pretentious, but I cared more about being truthful than accurate, meaning that I was pursuing what I thought to be the truth about who this guy was. Now, okay. I could be yeah. off in that. I could be off in my interpretation, um, you know, but that was my intention was to chase, you know, to try to be emotionally true to the scenes in the story as I saw it play out. And like you said, I think every person that was involved in his life had a different perception of him. So mm-hmm. I don't think you could say this is the true perception any true any of those were true perceptions of him because everyone's perception was different and you were having to use all of those perceptions to come up with what you portrayed in the movie you know what i mean does that make sense correct yeah no and exactly you nailed it on the head that's that's what the movie's about you know the movie is about what he meant to all these different people and how they all saw him and how that's you know okay so who who are we left with at the end of the day you know Mm -hmm. so the movie is very much a question film you know it's not really a Mm -hmm. it's not a i don't do really message movies um that's not my that's not my thing you know i i really i like movies that linger hopefully linger along in your mind after you see it and have you asked me who was that guy what did he mean what was he about you know and hopefully warrants you to watch the movie a second time and be like oh maybe there's thing i didn't notice about Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah you know that's kind of what i was what i was chasing i think it's interesting because from an artistic standpoint it's so different with filmmaking versus say what maggie and i do with podcasting you know for us it's all about okay did we get the the fine Mm -hmm. details correct and what i think is fascinating with film and maybe this is why i love it so much is that it does kind of create these just a series of questions rather than facts which is what we deal with and i think you did a fantastic job of just delving into psychologically the different shades of gray that Mm -hmm. is jason derrick brown Mm -hmm. because he is a conundrum i mean Mm -hmm. even doing the research into him it's mind-boggling in so many ways because he is this one thing and he is its dichotomy at the same yeah, he's time like crying and then he's like wiping his tears away and he's like yeah they're dumb and i just thought it was so good <laughs> yeah no i mean he's fascinating and that's part of you know, I, I attribute that to tom belfry's performance which you know he really oh mm-hmm. fantastic I, I think tom yeah. really understood the character on a deep deep level mm-hmm. you know because there was a version of this movie that could have totally gone the wrong way and been, mm-hmm. you know, felt like a spoof or spelled, felt like, you know, over the top, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it is a larger than life character. So you need an actor who can go big and go larger than life. Yeah. Yes. Some people on set compared to a little bit to like having some elements of Jim Carrey, <laughs> you know, a little mm-hmm. bit of Nicholson, even like he just has that kind of larger than life persona on screen. Um, mm-hmm. On screen is the nicest, uh, coolest guy, but you know, the, um, you know, yeah, he really could go there. And I think Tom really, gave a true unhinged performance um, uninhibited mm-hmm. and it was really spectacular mm-hmm. that's a good word he would really get in there and and he could just he did things that surprised me every day on that set uh like when we filmed the boat party scene you just started doing pull-ups you know yeah. <laughs> I, wasn't, I, wasn't scripted. <laughs> I wasn't asking him to but he just did it um you know or the nightclub scene he like improvised half of that just went off on these like amazing so which were, were like so good but i couldn't put them in right too funny or whatever and so it was always you know yeah there was just a a great line we were towing and he really understood the character and was mindful of how we were portraying him you know um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what were some of the challenges that you faced when creating this film well uh, you know making your first movie shooting a first feature is hard um shooting a movie in COVID is hard. <laughs> Harder. Yes. Hard. Yeah. Right. And then shooting a movie is just hard in general. So I think that, you know, look, we, you know, we didn't, you know, this is an indie film. Um, it was a labor of love for everybody involved. Um, you know, there was no huge paychecks, right? This was, you know, a, a grassroots movie. And, um, you know, for us, 
to get to do it. It was really ambitious. You know, we, I think we shot 28 locations in 22 filming days. Um, wow. So, you know, it's not a lot of time and, you know, you've seen the movie, so, you know, there's some action and there's some SWAT, there's some mm-hmm. murder, there's some armed robbery, there's some stunts mm-hmm. and tackling. Like it's not a movie just of people talking in rooms, which if I was smarter, that's probably what I would have done as my <laughs> movie. Um, but, you know, I went, I went big on the first one and, um, you know, I think uh, pulling all that off definitely took a lot of time and and really preparation. Um, but, you know, fortunately, because of how long it took to get made, I had a lot of time to prepare. And so by the time I was on set, I really did pretty much know every shot, every costume, every, you know, detail of hair, makeup, wardrobe that I wanted. Like I was, you know, we, me and my team, I, I'm very lucky to have an incredible team. My cinematographer, Cleo Robinson, who shot this, is her first feature also. She's incredible. My editors, it's their first movie. We all went to AFI together. My brother did the music, Scott Gentile. It's his first oh, film Oh, wow. Um, he's a he's a conductor and pianist as his day job, but he, he was in lockdown. And wow. Concerts got canceled. He had concerts booked all around the world on a world tour, but he just uh he okay just, yeah we need to film was, about your all's life like he was in the that's <laughs> he's more interesting than me. he's 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 a wild one um but he's a, he's a wild <laughs> artist but no he's great he's, he's the best and he really pulled off the impossible i mean this was his first feature so you know he really had a lot of people and then my producers who had been in on this thing with me for a long time and, and took a chance on a first-time director so i think the biggest challenge honestly and i, I think it's anyone so you is kind of rising to the plate you know, like mm-hmm. just stuck their mm-hmm. necks out for you. Your team all came, right? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. your film school friends, mm-hmm. your brother, your producers who have become your friend. You know, everyone's here. This cat, this amazing cast has come to help you make your first movie. So it's ultimately was about rising to the challenge. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, I think we did. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was a, uh, no, it was, it was an incredible time. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of logistical challenges. Film is you know, a craft mm-hmm. that you can always get better at. And uh, there's always things, mm-hmm. you know, I'll be learning, I'm sure, from movie to movie. But no, I feel very proud of the film and proud of the people who worked on it and who helped me get it made. So obviously it's impressive that this is your first, I guess, bigger film and you have so many big stars in your this film. It's so cool. Yeah. How did How did they come to be in... American murderer. Well, um, you know, we were, you know, when you go out to cast a movie, you always have lists. Um, I was very lucky. I had an incredible casting director, Patricia DeCerdo. She did some amazing films like Blue Jasmine and uh, many others. So she's been around for a long time and she has a very good intel on who's good and who's up and going and whatnot. But, you know, it always started with, um, you know, who's going to play Jason. That was always mm-hmm. step one for getting this film mm-hmm. off the ground. It was, you know, even when we were working right. script, it was always, who's going to play Jason? Who's going to play? And, um, you know, we had a list and there were a lot of great names and there were some people, you know, who came and went, uh, some we made offers to said no. And around April, 2020, we were in that like shutdown area. My producer, Gia Walsh gives me a call and she says, Hey, Matthew, are you watching Ozark? And I said, uh, no, I'm not. And she said, well, you need to. And I would get a call like this to keep in mind every week. Matthew, this person's amazing. That person's amazing. <laughs> He's a very Im- incredible, enthusiastic person. So I'm like, okay, Gia, great. Thank you. And so she tells me his name. An hour later, my brother calls me and he goes, hey, are you watching Ozark? This guy, Tom, is really great. And I'm like, okay, as a second ping, what's going on? Did Gia call him? And tell him? <laughs> right, <laughs> so right. So then, then after that, my friend who's a talent agent calls me and he says, hey, I read your script last weekend and, uh, you should look at Tom. He's great for this. So oh now gosh. I'm like, I've got three people. Yeah. Me. I'm like, okay, right. I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'll watch Ozark. So I turn it on. I, I, I flip on the, the Netflix and I start watching. And when I was uh, 16, I was really into acting and theater. And I used to have a theater teacher. I did some program at Carnegie Mellon. And she used to say to us this really weird quote where she would go, they know, those directors know in the first five seconds if you're the person. And me and my actor friends would laugh and be like, like, what are you talking about? How do they know in five seconds? Right. You know, audition, you know, but, um, and I always, I never really believed that necessarily, but then when she, uh, when I saw Tom in that first scene, I was like, we plays a teacher and he's in that classroom. I know she, I finally knew what she meant. I was like, Oh my God, he's the wow. guy. Wow. That's got to be Pelfrey. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, he had a lot of the traits. He was just very clear. He, you know, Tom, Jason has to be charismatic. He has to be mm-hmm. fun to watch. Right. right. You have to like pass another quality. You can't take your eyes off him. He has to be physical. You know, it's not, you know, it's a physical mm-hmm. role. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he has to have an appeal, you know, of a certain kind. He has to, right. So there were all these traits he needed to have and Tom had all of them. So it was very, mm-hmm. and he has to be unpredictable, which Tom also has as an actor. You never know what that guy's going to do. And that's what makes him so exciting to watch. So it was immediately, right. like I called you up and I'm like, all right, uh, I watched Ozark. <laughs> what do we got to do to get Tom Bell free? Yep. You want me to write a letter? It. And she was like, uh, don't write a letter. We, we've written enough letters. I'd written letters to every other actor before and they passed. And she goes, no, no, stop the letters. Let me just, I'm going to talk to his agent and we'll, you know, get him the script. So they get him the screenplay. And you have to keep in mind, Tom at this time was heating up quite a lot because Ozark had just got right. out. Everybody was like, who's this guy? We want to work with him. And I'm a first-time director with a small movie, so you know it, it was it was pretty competitive from what I'm from what I know. Um, but his agent really loved the script, and that helped. And then he really loved the script, and you know he had some questions about how we were doing it and how we were going to portray Jason, and we really talked a lot about that. And you know, I think that um, at the end of the day, you know, it was it's funny because you know I, I learned who Tom Pelfrey was officially in April 2020. But it's just so hard for me to imagine anybody else playing. Yeah, this anyone role. but him. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. really like the, mm-hmm. I don't think the movie would work without it. You know, it just it, it, he was the guy, and that kind of always happens um, in film. You know, you, you think it's mm-hmm. one thing, and then something else happens. You're like, oh yeah, of course that's it. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of right, right. So, so that was how Tom came on. Then once Tom came on, the cast came together pretty fast. Um, you know, Ryan was at the top of my list for. Lance slicing and we got him um you know i've always loved ryan's work uh you know mm-hmm. from cruel intentions was the sleepover movie growing up oh uh, yeah yeah you know, and flags of her but I, I just saw him in so many films and one of my mentors directed him as an fbi agent in Bre- a cia agent in breach um and you know he's just a great actor he's been around for such a long time he's had he ryan you know has so many good stories i mean he's been acting for 25 years um and he looks younger than me uh, you know, he's just so, he's such a wild and professional, um, you know, and he, you know, he really responded. I remember he actually signed on because what he told me, he called me, he said, I read the script and it's just, it felt honest to me. Um, and again, you know, not necessarily accurate, but honest. He said, it felt honest, it felt straightforward. I really connected with it. And, you know, he said, he was like, and I was just so glad you didn't have that cliche scene of the FBI agent you know, like saying like, I have to find him. <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. Like, it just felt real to me. And I was really, you know, taken back by that. And I, you know, he's, he's a great guy and a total, total joy to work with. Um, you know, and then it was kind of a snowball effect. Once Tom and Ryan were in, then, yeah. you know, the financiers came through and Adina, you know, and Jackie, I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, Oh, Jackie was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you're talking about a two-time Oscar-nominated actress. And I got to tell you, right. this cast totally exceeded what my expectations were. And I'm not saying that to be modest. Like, I had lists of actors I thought we could get for this movie. And they were way, mm-hmm. in terms of, like, you know, celebrities or people names people knew. They were way, they weren't that, they weren't like these cast, these cast members. They were all great actors, but they weren't like right. this. And, um... I remember Jackie Weaver, my producer, one of our producers gave me notes on the script. They were like, you know, the scene with the mother, you could really like get into it more. And I was like, oh, I don't think my first of this I have to do. And he was like, I mean, really, he goes, Matthew, if you write this scene well enough, you could get Jackie Weaver. And I was like, oh, I said, this producer yeah. really believes in me. And I laughed at him. I was like, right. I'm not going to get Jackie Weaver to do the small part in the movie. Like, are you crazy? She just did Steve McQueen's movie. She's not going to do mine. You know? Right. And sure enough, we got her. Like, when we made the offer, like, it was a fast wow. one, too. So, I mean, it just was really, like, it was just so many forces coming together. And look, I mean, and I don't say this to be falsely modest. If we had shot in any other time, I don't think we would have gotten a cast like this. Mm-hmm. Because in November of 2020, a lot of people were shut down, locked in, and not working. Yep. You know, Adina Menzel probably would have been on her 50th concert tour, right? And shooting her, you know, <laughs> right, Disney yeah. her, her much bigger Disney, being a Disney princess and a Broadway star and icon. And Jackie would have been on Yellowstone and anything, right? A million oh, other yeah. things. Um, you know, all of them. Moises Arias, who plays the drug dealer from Kyle, um, you know, he's like on Jonathan Nolan's new show now. 
I just saw him in the screen for Boston. Yeah. I loved his character. Yeah. He's great. He's really great. You know, and so we just, yeah. I just don't think we would have gotten these people if not for the timing and, you know, the fact that they did respond to the script helps. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, film's hard, you know, and it is, it's a lot. You know, someone said you need talent, timing, and luck. And like two of those three things, <laughs> right? <laughs> Some directors have great timing and luck, but maybe not talent. Some have a lot of talent, but bad luck, you know? So you got to do those things. Keep and I think we, you know, I can definitely say luck uh, is on our side when we well you've got all three in mm-hmm. spades but um i have to say and i won't i won't ruin anything for for people obviously they haven't seen the the film yet but the cinematography choices mm-hmm. were wonderful in the film and oh, my favorite is the final shot yep oh, and you. you know it it so many films i feel like i go to see and the ending ruins it for me and right yours was perfect it was like a perfect. breakfast club ending it was <laughs> that's wonderful the best, that's the second best comment i've gotten today someone compared it to coppola <laughs> that breakfast club ending is second best call that's great <laughs> yeah. um, i love that um, so but how hard is it to figure out how to end a film i mean i well, would imagine that is uh, what you spend the longest time on it is an excellent question um and i will tell you that yeah, there's a great screenwriter named William Goldman who famously wrote a book, the, the one great book about screenwriting called Adventures in the Screen Trade. Um, and he used to say endings are the hardest. Um, and, you know, I will tell you something about the ending without ruining anything. But, you know, as we know, the movie is nonlinear. So it's told through a lot of, you know, Ryan's character. Mm-hmm. You f- some parts of the movie you're just following jason Derek brown around and you're in his point of view and then for a lot of the movie you're outside his point of view and you're seeing kind of through different perspectives and ryan's character is kind of guiding you through it sort of like a tour guide you know taking you to different people who are going to you know give you an account and a testament he's grounding the film right so the film was told kind of in different you know going back and forth in time in a pretty sophisticated way that did not start out sophisticated but <laughs> became sophisticated and um you know in the script action what's kind of funny is after the third act originally was linear um because my feeling was i've done so much jumping around in time that the last third of the movie i was like well there's so much you know going on i don't need Mm -hmm. i don't need Mm -hmm. to do any jumps here i'll just you know play it out but when we screened the first cuts of the film we realized the third act the third last third did fall kind of flat um and didn't quite have the pizzazz we needed because the re- and it, really what happened was the rest of the movie was at a certain rhythm and the last third even though it had some of the best scenes in the movie was not working and so we we had to really come up with that in the edit room um but my editor mm-hmm. matt allen and my cinematographer Cleo robinson both worked and my editor chris young we all worked really closely together and talked about this thing a lot and, um, mm-hmm. you know, my producers really also did a great job of giving us the right notes that pushed us to, you know, find the right solutions to make that third act pop the way it needed to. Because, you know, mm-hmm. it is a crazy ending and there's a lot that goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, you know, a fairly, without spoiling, kind of an ambiguous ending, right? It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's mm-hmm. not, not happy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely not happy. It's quite sad <laughs> in a lot of ways um, and tragic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I do view the film as a tragedy. Um, but yeah, and you know, without spoiling too much, I could tell you something fun about the final shot. Um, because spoiler alert, there's snow. And, right. and the snow you're seeing in that shot, we had bottles. Is symbolic. Um, <laughs> it is symbolic. Um, it, it was, it, we, you know, snow and rain never look great on film when they're fake. Um, like mm-hmm. it's never well it's not that it never looks great when movies have a lot of money to pay for them they look pretty good but it never looks as, it never it never and it never looks as good as the real deal like if you can get real, snow, real right deal. so we had a snow machine and uh we were filming the last shot and we were actually going to film it later in the night but while we had the snow machines blowing like fine enough looking snow but definitely not up to what i wanted but i was like maybe we'll do some right effects and make it better um for 40 minutes, we had real perfect Utah snow. It was December. Oh, wow. We had real perfect Utah snow, and that just, um, you know, made it look that much better. Um, so, yeah. You know, that was another 
movie gods helping us out. <laughs> That's right. There's your luck. We were filming in Utah, and you know it was eight right. degree weather all all winter, but no snow. Pretty much when we needed it, and then finally for that one shot where there is snow, the snow was perfectly fell. We got the shot, and we moved on. So there you go. That's a fun wow. wow. job for you. Wow. How did you decide when and how, well, I guess, how did you decide the best way to release your film? Um, well, you know, I'm very lucky that I have excellent distributors at uh, Saban and uh, Universal is doing our foreign. So um, I'm lucky that we have great partners there and they do way more about that than me i'm just kind of there to help uh you know i think as a director you kind of have there's four steps right you write well not all directors write their scripts but you write your script or you get your script ready you shoot the movie you edit the movie and then you help get it out there um i was very mm-hmm. lucky that saban you know they do specialize in a lot of genre movies um and action mm-hmm. films, and you know we you know, we had some offers. I won't say who else was there, but you know, Saban really clearly got the film. Was very passionate about the film. Understood, you know, how to get it out there into the world. And you know, look, I'm, I feel very lucky that I'm getting a theatrical release. Period. Um, it's very rare for movies like this to get that these days. Mm-hmm. The reality is, most people will see it on television or streaming. And I think it's you know, if you can get to see it to a theater, please do because I think i'd vouch it's worth your your 10 12 bucks but you know if not well i have a huge family and i'm making them all go so you'll at least have like 30 people that are seeing it it. (laughs) we'll get the theater list soon so i'll send it out (laughs) um i appreciate that but yeah no i mean look most people will see it on streaming and look most of the movies i grew up loving i saw on tv you know i saw dog Mm -hmm. for the first time on a television Um, i saw recently on the big Mm -hmm. screen they played it here um yeah, so I got to do that. But, you know, it's, it's, and I love going to the theater and I always will. But, mm-hmm. you know, the reality is streaming and video on demand for emerging filmmakers like myself and, you know, up, you know, up and coming filmmakers, inspiring filmmakers, you know, it's a really incredible thing because it's allowed us to be able to reach mm-hmm. audiences we never normally would. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm glad that Saban really seems to know that Mark Well, they're a great partner. Um, and I thought their trailer was really cool and conveyed, you know, what the movie is quite well so yeah i'm lucky to be working with them you know they're my first distributor so uh it's exciting times yeah okay so one final big question for you matthew okay and that goes back to just you personally what kind of when you picture the future of your career what kind of legacy do you want to leave as a writer director Whew, you ask good questions <laughs> Well, you asked me earlier, and I realized I didn't really answer who my role models were. Um, my favorite filmmaker of all time is Akira Kurosawa, and he had an incredible quote. This guy, you know, Japanese filmmaker, made some of the best films arguably ever made, Seven Samurai, um, and made a wide range. Mm-hmm. Ikiru, you know, was about a man dying of cancer, basically, is the plot of that movie, and I saw it four years ago in Los Angeles on a Saturday afternoon, the crowd 300 person crowd was packed right so you know i think that's something to wow. certainly aspire to make yeah. a movie that's 60 yeah. years later and, you know, people are still talking mm-hmm. about it but you know um Kurosawa used to have a quote about film. They, someone asked him why he made movies and he was like if i you know if i make movies for one reason it's to pose the question why can't people be happier hmm. um and that's hmm. not necessarily exactly my question but you know i think that points at what i'm hoping to do with films I make is to, you know, ultimately I think film has a lot of power. I think film has the power to, you know, obviously it can entertain people. We know that obviously it can thrill people. It can scare them. It can make them laugh. It can make them cry. It can do all of those things. And I love movies that do all of those things. You know, I certainly set out with American murder to do a film that, because, you know, a complaint I've had of some, not even necessarily true crime films, but crime films in general. A lot of them are very, very overly serious, you know, and very overly like disturbing and sad and just not fun to watch and all. And I think life's not like that. You know, life is mm-hmm. crazy. Life is unpredictable. Life is funny. Life is tragic. Life is, you know, sometimes things are sexy. Sometimes things are not, you know, there's all this stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted the movie to capture that. Um, and so that's what I'd like to do. You know, I'd like to pursue truth in my work, I'd like to make characters that feel real to people and, 
you know, excite them and compel them. And maybe they don't like them. Maybe they don't, you know, understand them. Maybe they don't, you know, get them at first, but I'd like to, you know, really shine a light, um, on, you know, the light and the dark of humanity and mm-hmm. examine all of it. So I'm really looking to examine the human condition, um, as we see it, as we live and, you know, entertain people and take them on exciting journeys and adventures through, you know, people and taking you through the eyes of people you might not normally get to, you know, how many, you know, mm-hmm. none of us have probably seen the world of Jason Derrick Brown's eyes, but maybe a movie can right. show you what that looks like. You know, uh, I think it was Stephen King, obviously, you know, king of horror. And he said something about, you know, what draws us to the darkness is that, you know, we all have our own crocodiles in our head and they're waiting to be fed. And there's, there's something to be said. There's something that draws us to, you know, both those happy, joyous films, but also to that dark side. Yeah. And I love it all. You know, I love lighthearted movies. I often watch them to relax (laughs) when I'm making really dark movies like this. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, yeah, exactly. I think film, literature, all art, really. And, you know, what you guys do, a true crime podcast, you're examining human behavior we're kind of doing the same thing mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. i think yeah i think you know film has tremendous power and it's a fascinating medium and you know i am glad that i get to do it you know um so yeah right. i want to really explore a lot of horizons i have a lot of true crime films planned after this i love the genre and i you know, have a lot of exciting stories i want to tell in that space but uh, hopefully i get to leave behind a legacy right. of films that uh are a body of work that people can look at and say, those those are some good films there. Those are some interesting movies there. Mm -hmm. Hopefully some great movies there. And, uh, you know, yeah, I think just keep getting better at it. You know, not striving for perfection, but striving to be better. That's something I keep working Mm -hmm. on with myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And now I'll stop using you guys as my therapist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We do that with each other every week. We do. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much, Matthew, for being with us this evening for an interview. And listeners, make sure you check out Matthew Gentile's film, American Murderer. I'm telling you, if his first film is this strong, I can only envision a long and Mm -hmm. illustrious career in the industry. And to close, Matthew, would you please tell everyone when and where they can watch American Murderer? Uh, first off, before I do that, just thank you guys so much. Really, it means so much to Absolutely. hear you say that and to hear that you respond to it because I made it for folks like you who love this kind of stuff. So thank you, um, friends on the podcast. You can see American Murder October twenty first in select theaters, and October twenty eighth it will still be in theaters, but it'll also be on digital and demand. So you can rent it on any transactional video on demand platform, be it iTunes Store, Amazon. Uh, PlayStation, Roku, uh, any of them, anywhere you rent a movie, cable, any any transactional video on demand platform, you'll be able to rent the movie. Uh, Please rent it. And if you like it, uh, rate it and tell other people to see it. Thank you guys so much. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. week.